Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com, and I'm your host, Darren McDuffie. Today's show is actually pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take any questions, but there were people who sent questions ahead of time, and they will have all their questions answered on the show. I'm very pleased to have Juliet Scarf, who is the owner of Bare Skin Beauty, uh, on the show today. But before I get into the show, please, please connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash I'm the fat man and also on Twitter at the fat underscore man. Twitter is actually the fat underscore man. Don't forget your underscore. There's not a dash in there. So without further ado, let me welcome Juliet to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you doing, Juliet? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me, Darren. Thank you for being on the show. So let's get into your background. We talked off the air, like I said, but can you give the listeners a bit of your background, Juliet? Yeah, well, I'm I'm quite unique because I actually do two very different things. I'm a lawyer by trade, but I also obviously have bare skin beauty. And the reason I set this company up uh, now five years ago is because I was raised by a nutritionist and so grew up understanding the profound connection between what we eat and our health outcomes. And I was inspired greatly by everything that he did and I absorbed everything that I was taught and I grew up thinking that everybody had access to the information that I had and access to the knowledge that I had and it was only fairly recently that I started to understand how profoundly misinformed people are and the reason I set the company up is because for many 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 years I tried to find products that reflected not only my ethos but also had nutritional ingredients that were safe and also very effective. I couldn't find anything and was constantly disappointed. And so I decided that I would train in my spare time to be a holistic cosmetologist, aromatherapist, and many other qualifications that I have in order to create my own skincare because I simply couldn't trust what was available in the shops. And then due to my friend's encouragement, uh, they really wanted me to actually offer this out into the marketplace which is what I did three years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you, go ahead, I'm sorry. So, yeah, basically my, my range is based upon my principle of skin food, which is the fact that everything that you should be applying onto your skin should be of edible grade and it should... Basically, I see the skin as an incredible nutrient delivery system, something that is wholly overlooked. I mean, everybody's familiar with the idea of a, you know, an, a nicotine patch and what that does. But then they don't really follow that thought through to think, well, what's actually going on with that? So many years ago, I was fascinated by the concept of why are nutritionists and other practitioners not using the skin as a delivery system for nutrition? Because it's so powerful. Um, Everything that's applied to the skin ends up within the bloodstream within 15 minutes. And so it's flying around our bodies. And Ayurvedic practitioners have uh, discovered that they can actually do uh, post-mortems on people and discover what uh, skincare brand they're actually using by analyzing our bones. Now, that's really quite frightening if you think about that quite deeply. And so my viewpoint was, well, if you can improve the body so greatly by using the skin as a delivery system rather than orally, then you need, what you need to be putting onto your skin has to be pure and has to be uh, botanically sourced and, and have ethical ingredients within it. Otherwise, you are causing your body to take in far too many toxins. Yeah, I, I've heard this somewhere um, before, and I think that uh, in your, your, your uh, 
what you sent me uh, a long time ago, you said it, kind of repeated it to me, but I've heard it somewhere before, and it's like, if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin. Yeah, because the principle is is that what you eat today is the skin you wear tomorrow. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit more. I thought, uh, Juliet, what we would start with is just giving a basic hormone explanation, because I think... Uh, we try to make these things a little bit more complicated than they are, than they are. But can you give us just a basic hormone explanation and how you know how these things work and how they actually affect us? Well, in terms of the hormones within our bodies. Yes. Well, you have. I mean, everyone has different levels of hormones in order to be balanced. But men are obviously going to have more testosterone than women. And women who have higher levels of testosterone will have specific health concerns. And the biggest issue we have with modern day society is that we have, through the food that we're eating, inadvertently taking in far too much estrogen. So the majority of the symptoms that women suffer with, and men as well, uh, are from East, what we call estrogen dominance. And that was sort of the, the linchpin of the article that I sent you. And it explains why children in particular are going through major health problems is because they are taking in far too many hormones from not only the food that we're eating, but from the packaging. So this is what we need to be minded of. I mean, the body will balance itself and rectify itself if it's not getting continual sources of hormones into the body. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think uh, about two weeks ago, so I had a gentleman on the show, uh, Dr. Curtis Duncan, and he was talking about this very same thing and the fact that a lot of people are going through uh, estrogen dominance and they don't know what to do about it. But especially there are more females that are suffering from a lot of this. Uh, but now you're starting to see the same thing with men. Do you see a lot of that from when you were working with men as well, the estrogen dominance thing? Yes, absolutely. And for men, it's even harder to talk about it. It's it's a very embarrassing topic. I mean, for example, if you've got a man who's suffering from man boobs, he's not going to be chatting to his friends about how he can get any help. He's just going to be covering up and feeling really bad about himself. But So men find it really difficult to come forward and ask for help. Whereas, interestingly, with women, they'll ask for help because the symptoms that they're suffering are affecting how they look. So, for example, their hair will be falling out or their hair will be going gray early or thinning, and so it's more of a vanity side of things that pushes them forward because they're not aware of the damage that's actually going on within their body. And even if they are, then they don't attribute the symptoms to <laughs> to their imbalance because over here, even if you manage to see a GP that knows anything about this topic, which is highly unlikely, they're going to send you perhaps to an endocrinologist. and it's entirely likely that your results will come back that you don't have a problem and yet you leave thinking, well, I do have a problem, but I don't know what my problem is, but a doctor's telling me I don't have one because my blood results have come back that my hormone levels are fine. And the problem with that is that the blood tests that they do over here have such narrow parameters that unless you're a massively um, big outlier in those parameters, then they're not going to flag you up as having a problem. I mean, over here, we have a major issue with uh, something called polycystic ovaries that I don't know if you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with it. So many of my clients come to me with um, problems with their skin. So acne, you know, adult acne and congestion and aging skin. And, you know, they just, they're using products, you know, the kind of products that will be given to them by the doctor, are generally steroid-based creams, which are only going to cause bigger problems and make their skin photosensitive and there's so many chemicals in those uh those medical preparations and they don't for me the most the most important thing is it's 
the skin is telling us what's going on, but applying something medicated is not dealing with the underlying problem. And so it has no longevity to it. Even if the product works, which it's unlikely to, then it's not going to solve the underlying problem. And so the problem will persist. And those creams are going to cause an incredible amount of damage in the time with which they're used. So people end up in a vicious cycle and they just kind of give up really, because they've lost faith in the system because they're not getting the help that they need. Yeah, and we, we were talking about this off the air, and I wanted you to kind of um, go back over that again, the fact that with a lot of women, and you're seeing, of course, we're seeing this with men as well, um, with a lot of women, because they're putting these things on their skin and um, and going through this whole thing and wondering why they can't lose weight, they tend to give up. Can you comment on that a bit? So basically, toxins, if a body is toxic, which all of us are, it's just a question to how toxic we are, there's just no way that anyone isn't toxic with the amount of chemicals that they are taking in. I mean, if I can just give you an example, um, statistically, and this, this is the kind of thing I talk about when I do workshops and when I go and speak in front of hundreds of people, if you're, on average, women use 24 products a day. Now, the biggest issue with that is something called synergistic toxicity. So... Any chemical that's in a product, whether it be toothpaste, whether it be night cream, whether it be lip balm, has been tested to a certain level for its safety, but it's the fox looking after the hen house because the, the chemical itself will not have been tested against anything else. And also it's down to that individual company that is submitting its own formulation. So they're hardly going to tell the regulators that their chemical ingredient is very da damaging. So because they want to get it approved. And so you have this ridiculous system both in the US and the UK, because I know the legislation is very similar, where companies are submitting the information in order for it to be approved. And they don't have to be honest with that information. Plus, there is no way of knowing how those chemicals interact with each other. So we are effectively like walking science experiments unwittingly because if we are putting, you know, down to the synergistic toxicity, you can take two chemical ingredients and they can have 16,000 outcomes, i.e. reactions within the body and produced up to 16,000 other chemicals. Now, how can we ever know what they are and what they're doing? So as far as I'm concerned, we shouldn't have any of them in the body because I myself do not want to be a walking experiment, you know, and I've had clients that have it is as serious that you know i had a i had a client who used an organic shampoo and she ended up in a coma for three months oh my god that is not that unnormal because no one talks about it because who on earth is going to take on l'oreal who on earth is going to take on these companies where they have teams of lawyers waiting to destroy you um people and the other thing is even if you like in this case the doctors were able to prove exactly what product caused the problem but no doctor will stand up in a court of law and actually testify against these companies because it'll be the end of their career yeah so there's a lot of a lot of apprehension on, on people's part now getting into that you said something that was very very interesting um how does What's the difference between how Europe and America regulate their cosmetics? I know how we do things over here, but one of the things is, that has always captivated me was that in Europe they seem to ban certain food ingredients, but over here in America we're still holding on to those food ingredients, even though we know they are uh, they cause certain types of uh, of conditions. 
we still hold on to those. But what about what about Europe? How is it that Europe seems to be a little bit more ahead of the curve when it comes to that? Well, I don't think it is ahead of the curve. I think we're going backwards. I mean, anyone who's reading the non-mainstream media like myself knows that we are suffering from more and more European legislation in the United Kingdom. And I'll give you an example of just how detrimental that legislation is. I've had to take my baby range. Um, well, I couldn't launch my baby range because uh, I was told that the law had now changed since I had my formulations approved and I must now use preservatives in my products. And I just absolutely refuse. So the only way that I can get around that is that I can take those baby products and make them bespoke for each client so that it's a one-off product and I will not bring my product to market. I mean, it's insane. It's <laughs> How many different ways can you look at that fact and not say it's insane? This is this is a newborn child who should be receiving the best. They should who what what rationale is behind that? It's it's absolutely crazy. And the other thing that we are experiencing is the lobbying culture, which I know that you've had for a very long time in America. And so over here, you know, for every MP in Parliament, there's four lobbyists hiding in the dark promoting corporate interests and for example, this July, we have been told that by law, I'm not allowed to use the phrase free from with my cosmetics. So one of my big selling points is that I can say to people free from gluten, free from preservatives, free from um, chemicals. I'm now not allowed to say that as of July this year. All of my packaging, my marketing must be changed. And it was actually SA Lauder that lobbied for that to be done because they said despite having 99% of the market in the United Kingdom, they said that it caused unfair disadvantage for them. Wow. Wow. I know yeah. Here we can do, we, you know, we can say gluten-free and all that stuff, but I don't think that that's something that comes from major brands. I think that a lot of the independent organic cosmetics that are popping up around here, they, they know that it's uh, a selling point to have gluten-free or free from uh, different things. Now, with with what you're doing over there, what, and you mentioned children, and one of the things I'm really concerned about is children, and uh, you couldn't launch your your baby line there, but how do personal care products affect our children? Well, well, children's skin, it's, you know, they, they suffer with so much toxic overload in the womb, even mothers who are doing the best that they possibly can in terms of eating naturally and organically and getting loads of hydration. There are so many chemicals even within those foods, even organic. It's just inescapable. I mean, there's so much data that says that babies are exposed to over 220 chemicals in placenta blood alone. And, you know, they're in there and they're percolating in it. And so they come out fairly toxic. So the most important thing to do is for that child to not take on board any more toxins. And so... Babies don't really need that much skincare. They need to not be put in water that's got chlorine because it will obviously dry their skin out and they need to be bathed in fairly cold water really because um, as soon as you heat tap water up, obviously the chlorine becomes chloroform, which we all know how dangerous that is. Mm -hmm. So children just need the simplest of care and um, you know some of the most heinous products are actually made for children it never causes me more grief than to read packaging on and in fact I don't know if you know this because it's only just well I say it's hit the press it hasn't hit the press here I'm about to write about this 
But Johnson & Johnson have been sued in Germany successfully and they've been told that they must now reformulate all of their baby products because they've been found to be unlawfully dangerous. Yeah, I've heard about that. I know um, there was an ongoing joke here. Um, what is the show that my girlfriend watches? I can't remember it now, but it's like a cartoon show, and they did this little skit on it about Johnson & Johnson baby products. And it, I, I always knew that there was something wrong with J&J's uh, baby products, but I'm glad that they were successfully sued because, yeah. because there's something that needs to be done, especially when it comes to babies. And I know that you and I talked a, a while back about this, probably like last year, about the fact that a lot of these products are causing our children to go through early early puberty. Do you want to yeah. comment on that? Yeah, well, this is a huge problem over here. And the other huge problem is the fact that there are so many children who haven't even finished their childhood who are grossly overweight because they are hormonally imbalanced. And they're also neuro neurologically imbalanced because of the same issue. So I, it's just so sad that these children are being dragged out of childhood early. I mean, you're, there are so many children who are females that are, are getting their periods at the age of nine. Um, and as you're probably aware, the you your cells change completely every seven years and so you don't actually finish growing until you're 28 so it's the four the four cycles and these children aren't even making it into the second cycle before they're becoming a woman and their bodies are not set up for that so they're having major problems with their skeletal structure in terms of their hips and in terms of their pelvis and they're becoming anemic because they're bleeding from such a young age. And all of this is because of the food they're eating and the fact that they were probably raised with a plastic dummy in their mouth that they sucked on for hours on end. And they probably grew up on TV dinners where their food was irradiated and then eaten in melted plastic and their food is covered with cling film and they're drinking plastic water and you know, it just goes on and on. And in fact, most of those things that are branded and marketed as healthy are anything but. And parents think that they're doing the right thing and they don't have time to research stuff. And they're like, well, you know, BBC News says this is good for my child, so I'll get them that. And if you get on the bus in London, first thing in the morning, you'll see that most children who are in prams are eating or having for breakfast a uh, tetra pack of Ribena and a packet of crisps. Mm -hmm. It's it makes one cry. It's just <laughs> because I can't help everyone, and I wish I could. But I just feel like shaking the mother and saying, "Do you have any idea what you're doing to your child? That child is 100% reliant on you for its nutrition, and you are failing miserably." Yeah, it's the same thing over here. I know uh, my girlfriend Rama. She's a teacher. And she comes home complaining about the same thing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, she had a young girl that was just diagnosed with, um, she's had asthma, and they had a situation where they had to call the ambulance here and, uh, and rush her off to the hospital. And just after that, um, you know, they finally did a test on her, a food allergy test, and figured out that she couldn't uh, ingest milk, no dairy, and no wheat. And I don't know what else. And soy, soy, dairy, and wheat. And before that, uh, Robin used to tell me that she would come to school with those, you know, little lunchables and sandwiches and all of these other things. And I think that that's what really made her have the attack that she had. And even, you know, you know what causes asthma? Uh, it's really simple. It's I mean, if a child comes in, if a child came in with those symptoms to me, I'd be saying to parents and I'd be looking at the skin and analyzing the fact that 
that child is chronically dehydrated. The reason that we get allergies and we get hay fever is because we, the body starts overproducing histamine and that is caused by chronic dehydration. So the simplest way to get someone over an attack, whether it be an asthma attack, an anxiety attack, anything that's related to them not being able to breathe properly, is to have Himalayan salt in water hmm. and it'll stop. Wow, I didn't know that, but I knew that dairy kind of exacerbates asthma, and you have a lot. And here, I don't know about the school system over there. Here, I know that they serve milk with everything. You get a carton of milk with, with, with your lunch, because I know I, when I was a kid, that's what they used to do. And uh, at this point in time, I'm an adult, and I can't handle milk anymore, So unless it's raw dairy. But mm-hmm. um, here, the kids are constantly exposed to milk. They're never, they never really drink any water or anything of that nature. Most of the adults don't drink any water. So I, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me that people are uh, chronically dehydrated. Now, um, getting back in the focus more on adults, and I guess this will concern kids, let's talk about chemicals, um, mm-hmm. specifically things like xenoestrogens, petrochemicals, and just every chemicals that people should look out for in their personal care uh, and cosmetics, especially women. I know I had a lot of women asking questions about this stuff. Well, can I just first of all give some tips on things to avoid around the house just in normal everyday life that also contain those in much higher levels than cosmetics do? Sure, sure. So avoid plastic. Don't cook with plastic. Uh, Cook with, I have no idea what's available in the States, but I imagine that you're probably way ahead of us. I mean, here I only use uh, bamboo because it's naturally antibacterial. Hmm. And uh, it's actually really inexpensive. And the other thing to stay away from, which is, is truly deadly, is anything that has non-stick. Yeah, Teflon. Yeah. Yeah, is that what you call it over there? Yeah, we call it Teflon here. But they also just for the people that aren't geeky like me, they uh, say nonstick. So it's the same thing. Okay. Yeah, and cling film is also another classic one. So I just buy, um, we call it like uh, baking wrap or parchment paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so plastic, just avoid plastic and particularly any plastic that goes into the mouth. And obviously don't use a microwave. Yeah. What about aluminum, Juliet? Do you do you oh. use aluminum over there or do they have those aluminum baking no, no, I stay, I stay absolutely away from um, aluminium as, as we pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, aluminium and uh, a Gulf War syndrome, I don't know if you know, but that was caused by the fact that they put crates and crates and crates of Diet Coke and Coke out in the sun and, and it sent, sadly, all of the troops completely mad and most of them either died or they're still incredibly sick. So aluminium exposed to either heat or changes in temperature changes the molecular structure and makes it even more toxic so you're drinking you know liquid heavy metals effectively yeah you have um and strangely enough um i've been doing some research and did some research a while back and they said that alzheimer's patients and dementia patients have really uh, excessive amounts of aluminum in their brain aluminum in their brain so yeah. um, there's there's a link there. Yeah, definitely. And I see a lot of copper toxicity in clients. I see a lot of lead toxicity in clients because um, London is based on Victorian uh, water pipes that have been leaching lead into the water for quite some time. Not that they tell anyone that because they prefer to keep these things quiet. So nearly everyone that I see has got heavy metal toxicity. But the good thing is, is there's some really simple, inexpensive things that you can do on a daily basis to get rid of those from your body. And it takes, with a concerted effort, it takes about a month. 
Yeah, yeah, it's really. But um, getting at back into the just xenoestrogens and petrochemicals, yep. can you give a just a brief synopsis of that? Um, well, the xenoestrogens, I mean, but they are the they are compounds that mimic estrogen or they interfere with the levels of estrogen in the body. So. Mm-hmm. Xenoestrogens are something that we absolutely don't want to have in our system at all. And this is what's making women struggle to get pregnant. Um, it's making women spontaneously abort. And it is, it is serious. And it's, they come from, the, the main state of where they come from is from uh, chemical pesticides and herbicides, so the stuff that our food is being sprayed with, and also from chemtrails. Yeah, yeah. What about... Um Petrochemicals. Can you give, give a brief uh, explanation of petrochemicals? Xenoestrogens are something like totally different, but I think that they kind of overlap each other. Yeah, but, they do. And yeah. the reason that we have petrochemicals, so basically a petrochemical is something that, that comes from the molecular structure of, of oil, so mm-hmm. crude oil. Mm-hmm. And the way that crude oil is extracted and uh, turned into usable fuel, it involves a great deal of additional chemicals that go through the uh, the refining process. And a long time ago, I don't know who it was, but someone in their wisdom thought that rather than dumping that material that they'd have to pay a lot of money for, it would be far more fabulous if they could sell it to an industry, even if it was sold at a low price, and that's what they did. And that's why the basis of whether it be Vaseline, whether it be Johnson's and Johnson's baby oil, is this chemical mix that is is a petrochemical. So it comes from, it is some sort of byproduct from the refining of crude oil. Mm-hmm. And most of our plastic, I, I, I'm assuming that you're just like over there, you're just like us with the plastic water bottles and all of this oh, stuff. So those right. things are derived uh, from petrochemicals, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about plastic water bottles is when they're first blown, i.e. they're melted and blown into the shape of a bottle, they should be left to sit for a year before anything is poured into them. But I assure you that they're not. And and so that water, you are effectively drinking plasticized water, not to mention all the levels of nitrate and nitrite in it from agricultural runoff. So even if you're buying water that says it comes from a nature reserve, it won't be pure because of all the rubbish that has come down with the rain and, and gone through the water table and into that once pure water. So for me, the best thing to do is to drink uh, filtered filtered tap water because there's no such thing as pure water anymore. And also, I, I find it quite unacceptable that water is extracted and shipped halfway across the world for a huge profit because that seems to go against everything that someone who's ecologically minded believes in. I, I would agree with you. And I don't see how that could be uh, especially healthy. Uh, I know one of the waters I, I tend to gravitate more towards to if I'm out and, and have to have something convenient, it's Fiji. And I'm like, how do they bottle this water and ship it, and ship it over here, and why is it healthy? Because I know at some point it's sitting in a hot warehouse and getting heated heated up, and I know that it isn't healthy. But then again, when I'm out, it's the only water that I think is actually uh, uh, healthy. It's a, it's a healthy water, and I know that's kind of like an oxymoron, but um, it just doesn't make sense that we're shipping water halfway across the world and saying that it's healthy. No, so I have a glass bottle, a 500ml bottle that I fill with uh, purified tap water, basically. So 
that's the way to get around that. And it's just a case of, yeah, you've got to carry it around with you. But uh, if I can give you an example about plastic bottles that I was uh, told by the founder of a company in the UK called Aquapact, which when I heard this, I just was totally horrified. He's a water specialist and an ecologist. And he came to an event that I organized and he stood up and spoke and he absolutely shocked everybody in the room and they all threw their plastic bottles away. And what he said to us that stuck in our mind is he said, imagine you're in a hotel room and there's a cleaner and she's got rubber gloves on and she's just cleaned the toilet. And then she goes and she stocks the minibar and she picks up the bottle of water and she puts it in the minibar. And he said, and you come in and you pick that up. He said, you will have be drinking everything that was on her plastic glove, on her rubber glove, because with petrochemicals, anything oil-based goes straight through them. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. So if you imagine an enormous crate, this is what they do when they load up the planes. They take this enormous stack of bottled water and it will sit on a runway with engine fuel and with... Um, oh. And it absorbs it all through the bottle. So you can, I promise you, I promise you, it's ghastly, but it's true. Yeah, and you know what's so strange about that? I've been on the runway and I've smelled jet fuel. And yeah. now I'm going to, when I do that, if I'm on a plane, I want to be like, oh, my God, that stuff is going into our water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But, that they serve on the plane has got a lovely heavy dosing. But, you know, you can, it, it's, it's how it's how oil works and oil attracts oil and it just goes straight through the bottle into the water and you can't see that you can't necessarily taste it but it's there yeah that's amazing let's get into um just cosmetics personal care products and let's talk specifically about ingredients that we need to avoid um i got two here and i know this stuff from robin because robin has her you know her blog and she's been into this stuff for a while but i don't know everything the two that I have here for you are, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this first one correctly, it's phthalates and then parabens. Yeah. So phthalates, they basically act like xenoestrogens. They interfere with the endocrine system, so they mess about with our thyroid, our pituitary gland, our adrenals. They put us into a state of fight or flight. They increase the levels of cortisol in our blood and generally turn us into a bit of a mess. And um, we're taking these in day in, day out in some of the most innocuous products. So they should be banned. They should be illegal in Europe and in the US. But um, <laughs> there's too many commercial interests at play here. And they're really, really dangerous. They're carcinogenic. Um, and no one yet knows, because the research hasn't been done, exactly what they do to the body. So I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about, um, and I know this is important for women because they go through the menstrual cycle. What about um, tampons and maxi pads and all this, this other stuff? Oh, goodness. They've just released a product here. I don't know if you have it. It's made from something called Tencel or some rubbish like that that they've released in the UK. And it's, it's literally like a foam mm -hmm. that you're supposed to wear all day. I mean, just like the skull, uh, your lady parts are very, very absorbent, as in the skin is very, very thin. And so anything that's touching that, uh, you're going to be absorbing it hour after hour after hour. And tampons are one of the most revolting products because they're bleached. Hmm. And they, I mean, the, the cotton that they would have originally been made from has been covered in glyphosate and all of that other horrible stuff. So 
it would have been GM cotton to begin with, so you don't even know what you're putting inside you, and there'll be fibers that are incredibly dangerous. And, um, you know, toxic shock syndrome doesn't exist for no reason. It, it doesn't. The fact that it even exists as a phenomenon just shows how many women have got sick from it so that they actually had to give it a name. Yeah. Now, I know what, what's going to happen. We're going to go on the air, and someone's going to come back to me with a question saying, well, why didn't you ask her what to you? So I'm going to ask you that right while we're on the air right now recording this. What can women use that, that's safe and um, that's – I know um, I've heard of something called like a, a diva cup or something like that. I don't know if I'm totally off base there, but what can a woman use that doesn't – to get – away from using toxic tampons and, and maxi pads? Well, all I do is I use organic ones, and we have a brand here called NatraCare, which is, as far as I'm aware, the only, the only brand that is sold that doesn't have artificial fibers added into it, and it's genuinely made from, from actual cotton that is organic. I mean, that's the simplest way to avoid it. Yes, it's going to be more expensive, but the, the beauty with it is, is if more and more women buy it, then the price will come down. Yeah, yeah, and that's always the case. It's like uh, as much as you put this information out, there's a lot of people that still aren't catching on to it. And yeah. so the organic stuff always costs a little bit more, but people don't realize it costs more because there's not a big demand for it. It's always a bigger demand for the more commercialized products. So, of course, the price is going to be lower. Glad you – good point. I'm glad you made that point. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk a bit about – um and someone asked this question uh, about natural and organic. What's the difference between natural and organic? Okay, well, I can only speak for here, and this is one of my little soapbox moments. There, in, in the UK, there's no legal definition for natural or organic. So you, the only way that – so for, in relation to organic, you have this certification system over here, which, as far as I'm concerned, is just a big scam – and my experience with people is that they don't care about certification. They care about having a relationship with a company where they know they can trust what they're saying and what they're doing. So the certification thing is just an opportunity for a certain company who's doing the certification to make a lot of money. It doesn't actually translate to customers, and this is why they're so confused. And even something that is actually stamped as organic doesn't mean it's completely organic. So over here, you can, like I said with the shampoo example, you can call something organic, but it's absolutely packed full of chemicals. So the difference between natural and organic in its true construction of the word rather than what's going on, sadly, is something that's natural has to be 100% derived from plants or flowers or nuts or seeds. And organic just means that it has a level of organic, organic ingredients. It's not because you could never make, I mean, I can't produce skincare that is 100% organic because I can't get all of the ingredients organically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, it's, um, I think it's a little bit different here in, uh, uh, in the U.S. because natural, and most people are always thrown by this, the, the whole natural thing, and then you look at something that's natural and you have a bunch of chemicals on there that you can't pronounce. So I, I think an organic is exactly the same as what you describe is that um, – there are things that are organic, but they're not always 100% organic because they can't source those types of uh, ingredients. But I think the natural thing throws a lot of people off. And speaking of that, I had a question from Jada, and she said, how do I know if my blush or powder is truly natural? Going back to what I said. So, well, 
you can't get 100% natural makeup. I, I really absolutely emphatically believe that. And anyone who says that they are producing 100% natural is lying because, you know, nothing in nature is blue. Nothing in nature is the colors that they are producing. So what they're saying is, is that a certain component of it is natural. But then when you see this little, because in America you have these funny codes for colors, it will say like CL774. That's not natural. That is a color compound that's been made in a lab. So, you know, the bare minerals of this world are not producing natural makeup. Um, I have yet to find a brand that I would be willing to say, yes, I love it. And yes, I use it. I'm still working my way through the brands over here, Mm -hmm. um, trying to find something that I am 100% happy with. And it's really, really difficult. Makeup is a really difficult one. Um, You're not going to get a blush color that's natural, that's 100% natural. It just doesn't exist. So the thing you want to make sure is it's got no talcum powder in it. Absolutely stay away from that stuff. And you also need to make sure that it's got no nanoparticles because that's one of the biggest areas of concern for me. And all the mainstream companies are switching over to this because it's cheaper to produce and it's much more dangerous for us. Yeah. Can you explain nanoparticles and also explain uh, the whole talcum powder thing. And I, I know myself about talcum powder, but I want the audience to, to, to get the gist of that. Well, talcum powder is, is incredibly dangerous for us because there is no way to, anything that's got talcum, even if you're putting a small amount of blush on your cheeks, you're going to be breathing in the bits that didn't stick. They're going to be going up the nose and they're going to end up in the lungs and they cause absolute chaos because as soon as the body receives anything that's a foreign object in it, doesn't matter what it is or where it's come from, it goes into information mode. It starts fighting it. It goes, what's this? It's not meant to be here. Let's attack it. So this this mini war is going on inside your body just from you putting on blusher. Yeah. And what about nanoparticles? Uh, Nanoparticles. Without just being too scientific, can you explain can explain? <laughs> well, I don't want to sound scientific. I'm trying really hard not to because I don't yeah. want to lose people or bore them. But nanoparticles are effectively, they've taken a normal-sized molecule of something. So say, for example, I use zinc in my sunscreen, and there's now nano-zinc in everything. What it does is it takes a normal natural particle of zinc. It puts it through this highly... Um, micro-pressing procedure, which I don't profess to understand, and it takes it down to a micron level of the size that it was. And that means that that particle is so small that it's going to end up in every single fiber because, you know, the body, certain parts of the body act as gateways. So, for example, the gut can only absorb certain size molecules. Other parts of the body are the same. So it's going to end up in our lungs. It's going to end up absolutely everywhere, and it can't get out. How does the body get rid of it? It can't get rid of it. So it's just going to, it's like sedimentation. It's just going to build up and build up and build up and build up until we're so toxic that our organs start failing. Wow. I've never, I've never heard of that. That's, that's intriguing. Um, getting back to just organic, the whole natural and organic thing out there. And I know I've came across this and I call this organic fakers. Like there are a lot of organic fakers out there. People who here in America, there are brands that profess to be organic. And again, you look on the back and there's all of these other chemicals in there that you can't pronounce, but yet they're still allowed to put organic on the label. Do you have that same contrast over there in England? Yes. Yeah. yes. It causes me no end of frustration because how is a consumer supposed to differentiate between a brand that has a lot of money behind it that shouts and screams about it being healthy and organic and one that is much smaller 
doesn't have the resources to do that and yet is probably a lot purer and a lot <laughs> a lot healthier for you so yes a, a it is lawful in the UK to call a product organic when it's not that's crazy but it's it's what's going on and until someone can challenge these companies I mean for example recently again in Germany and hats off to them for doing this there's a brand called bio oil have you heard of it no, I've never heard of it, but it just always seems like Germany is on the cutting edge of all these yeah. things because when you look at different stuff, um, I've seen where they've banned a lot of chemicals, and again, America is still behind, but Germany seems like they're on the cutting edge. Yeah, they're definitely not asleep, and uh, they there's a there's a brand called Bio Oil over here, which I have to laugh because otherwise I'll cry, that they market themselves as being designed for people who've got stretch marks and scars and let us help you naturally heal them and get rid of them so these women who are pregnant and people who've been through injuries are busy applying it to skin that is damaged and the germans punished bio oil and said to them that they are no longer allowed to use the name bio oil because there's nothing natural within their product and yet they claim that they are a natural oil based serum so they're now only allowed to market themselves in germany under the name buy oil it's called bio oil. Yeah, because it, it, they can't use the word bio because that that's the Greek for natural or the Greek derivative for natural. So, but it hasn't reached the mainstream media here. No one's writing about it. No one's talking about it. And again, that's a blog I really need to write. But it's um, and yet still people will hear that and they won't put two and two together and go, well, maybe what I've got in my cupboard upstairs isn't the best for me. Yeah, and you mentioned your blog and your website. What are they? Because I'll, I'll get you to, to do it at the end, but um, it's always good to say it a couple of times uh, within the podcast. So my site is bareskin-beauty.co.uk, and then my blog is, is integrated within my website, and then there's the Facebook page, which is just Bare Skin Beauty. Cool, cool. I'll remind me to do that at the end, or you can just say it at the end of the podcast. <laughs> if I forget. All right, so I'm going to more roll on to another question, and this question comes from Dana, and she said, are there any independent cosmetic companies that don't contain chemicals? I don't know if you, and Dana's here in, in America, I don't know if you know of any brands here that you may be able to steer her towards. Not that I can think of, honestly. I, I, and again, for me, I'm so strict on this, I won't, <laughs> I won't recommend <laughs> any brands unless I use them myself. And unless you, okay, okay. I, Skincare. Okay, I think um, I might be able to help her out here. I'll just I'll just ask Robin because I know Robin is like you. She's not going yeah. to recommend anything that that she doesn't put on, on on herself. All right, so we'll go on to another one. Leanne had a question about deodorant rocks, and I know people always send this to me on Facebook. What about deodorant rocks? What do you you know about deodorant? I was like, I don't use them, but can you talk a little bit more about that? What you mean the ones that are made what? made out of what because there's lots of different options there's the ones that are made out of it looks like a little like a clear crystal like the crystal oh, okay. the yeah. alum you yep. mean the alum deodorants yeah they're like a, a crystal and you just yep. take them and rub them up under your arm yeah well they are fantastic because they are genuinely just um natural they're just alum salts that are crystalline but for me and i've yet to formulate a deodorant that actually works for everyone because every time I do this and I send out uh, stuff for testers, it comes back with, oh, I still sweat. And 
people's expectations are just so high that they're going to have a deodorant that makes them smell lovely all day, that is, you know, gentle on their skin and works. And it's just not possible. I, you know, in three years, I've still not managed to make one that is antibacterial and does all of those things and gives you a lovely uh, smell, but also um, actually stops you from sweating. You can't stop the body from sweating. So in a roundabout way, the alum salts are fantastic, but they don't work for everyone. Some people will just say, I'm sorry, I can't. As lovely as this is, I can't use it because I still sweat. And um, there's no, I don't think there's any natural ingredient that is going to stop you sweating. The reason for this is that nature's not meant to go against the natural workings of the body, and we're meant to sweat. You know, I sweat a lot. I'm not mm -hmm. afraid of that or ashamed of that, and women shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, uh, you mentioned, and I'm going to say my way to, to, to say it, alum salts. So one of the things that I've, I came across is uh, here that they were saying that alum salts are contribute to aluminum. And I know from doing a lot of research and reading a lot of things that aluminum is one of those things that have been attached to breast cancer in women. And so those alum, alum salts, they are naturally occurring, so they, they, they're not really like aluminum. Or no, okay. no, they're not. They're completely different. And, yes, absolutely, heavy metals put anywhere near the breast is a really, really bad idea. Mm -hmm. And particularly anything that's in an aerosol can. I mean, you have so many lymph nodes in your armpit that, again, it's going directly in the armpit, through the skin, into the bloodstream. And, yes, it might be nice to sweat less, but it's not worth the effect that it's having on your body and the effect that it's having in your breast tissue. Absolutely not. Yeah, so we should sweat. I know a lot of people yeah. think that, hey, you shouldn't sweat, but sweating is good for us, correct? Yeah, one of the simplest ways to stop your body from or, or to absorb that moisture is, have you, are you familiar with diatomaceous earth? Yes, very. Well, just go and get a baby talcum powder canister. This is what I do. Add in some essential oils um, of your choice. So lavender is lovely, um, sweet orange. Just have fun with it. And then just pat that onto your skin and you will, that will absorb the sweat. And it will do wonderful things for your body. Diatomaceous earth is so detoxing. So if you're sticking it in your armpits, it's fantastic. Wow. I never knew that. I knew I'd take that for uh, like parasites and just for general uh digestion purposes you can just put like a uh a uh i don't know what is it a cup not a cup it's a i think it's a tablespoon or two tablespoons for in water and it's not the best tasting stuff it tastes like chalk <laughs> but you can take that and what it'll do is just knock out parasites i had a guy that swore by this we met him at the flea market he said he said that diatomaceous earth uh, saved his life. He was overweight and he just started taking it and it detoxified his body and, and it actually saved his life. And he's the first person that kind of turned me on to it. I never heard about it, but it's good for a lot of things. I think it's good for fleas, for dogs and all kinds of things that, that it's good for. Um, did, you know, did you know that after Chernobyl they put 500,000 tons of diatomaceous earth on the reactors to I, save lives it is the most incredible compound on the face of the earth and if you take 15 grams of it in a smoothie every day you'll be laughing you'll live 30 40 years longer than you would have done without it it chelates heavy metals i don't think there's anything yeah. it doesn't pull out and it pulls it out mm -hmm. in their whole molecule form it doesn't break it up and leave bits floating around it it basically acts like a kind of 
shroud, it puts a shroud around these revolting metals and then helps the body to get rid of it via the lymphatic system and obviously through through the normal um, detoxification pathways. I, I can't speak more highly. And it's fantastic if, you know, if you're a bit overweight and you have problems with chafing legs and things like that, just put a bit of it on after you get out of your shower, you've dried your legs, and then you won't have any skin rashes and burns that some people get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I need to start taking it again. I kind of got off it there, but I need to start taking it again. Um, getting back to another question, I know Leanne had asked the one about deodorant rock. She also had another question about toothpaste, and specifically toothpaste with um, – can't talk toothpaste with uh, triclosan or triclosan? Oh, goodness. Triclosan is so dangerous. Uh, the reason for this is um, it's like, I suppose it acts like a, an external antibiotic, which we all know that antibiotics don't work. They don't help the body. And, it, and again, we need a certain level of bacteria. And the place that you find the most bacteria is obviously on the hands and in the mouth. We're not meant to lose that balance of bacteria. We're not meant to strip it out. And most of the reasons that people have um, issues with their mouth is because of their gut. And the reason that they have issues with their teeth is because they're demineralized and that's why their teeth start to break down. And that's what's happening with their bones as well. Um, Amalgam fillings obviously have their own separate section of chaos that they cause within the body. So in terms, triclosan is deadly. Um, There's absolutely no long-term studies on it that I've ever read that give me any sort of Um, contradiction to what I believe um, it's also found in antibacterial products we're not meant to be changing the bacterial content of our mouth we're not meant to be doing that again it's interfering with nature it is not going to add anything beneficial to your teeth cleansing process in fact my dentist every time I see him I only have to see him he wants to see me every nine months he says to me every time what are you using he doesn't believe me that I make my own toothpaste just out of Corella green clay some coconut oil and then some bicarbonate soda and then I put in peppermint oil clove and a few other things like oregano um, but my oral health is fantastic and that's because I cleanse my teeth with natural things because my mouth is so absorbent the inside of my cheeks absorbs things straight away mm-hmm. I don't want this commercial rubbish in my mouth and it more importantly it doesn't work it doesn't clean plaque it doesn't do the things that they say it will do which is why everybody has bad breath which is why everybody needs these additional products they're not meant to work yeah. they're designed to fail yeah back going back to that um, just for uh, a lot of people that are out there, I gave up just using toothpaste a long, long time ago, and I started just using just normal baking soda. That's what everybody used way back then. One of the things that's really intriguing to me now is everybody's catching on to oil pulling. Have you done any of that? Oh, yes. I don't enjoy it, but I do do it, and it's incredibly effective. Do you use coconut oil for that? Um, I either use cold-pressed coconut oil oh. um which for some reason makes one a gag, even though I love coconut oil, <laughs> or I use sesame, uh, cold-pressed sesame oil, which the Ayurvedics have used for 10,000 years, and they claim that that's the best oil to use. Which one was that? Sesame seed oil. Sesame seed oil, okay. Yeah. So, um, and this was something that uh, from the manuscript that you sent me a while back, that intrigued me, and I've just read through it the other day, but something about anti antibacterial soap and uh, water, like hot water. Can you explain uh, about that? 
because I know everybody here is into like let me let me put the antibacterial soap on or they're using these uh, antibacterial uh, type of, of sprays to these gels to wipe their hands before they do anything to keep away from germs and all that stuff but what's the danger behind that well <laughs> the idea of us you know germs needing to be killed is just ridiculous how on earth does the body ever build up any immunity this is why children are sick all the time is they're not allowed to play in the dirt and they're not allowed to touch dirty things they're sterilized their hands are sterilized the house is sterilized so they build up absolutely no immunity to any sort of outside pathogen and we are being assaulted by viruses bacteria parasites you name it all day every day and our skin is the first line in that defense so if you then interrupt the skin's natural function and you interrupt the natural um, coating of the skin by using antibacterial products, whether it's in your shower gel, hand wash, shampoo, whatever it may be, you are interrupting that natural process and you are hindering that natural process, which means that your skin is not becoming the, the strong first line of defense that it needs to be. So in fact, by these products that are marketed to make you think that you're being healthier and you're killing bad bacteria, you're not. You're making your body much more susceptible to attack that it can't defend itself against. And this, and for children, it's even more detrimental. We're meant to have bacteria on our hands. We're, I mean, obviously, we should wash our hands. Mm -hmm. However, we shouldn't overwash our hands. And um, these antibacterial products are causing a lot of health problems. The most effective way to clean a house is to steam it, not to throw chemicals all over it. Um, yeah, to use bicarbonate soda, as you say, and steam, and fantastic. There'll be nothing. That will keep the good bacteria present, and the bad bacteria will be killed. So antibacterial products are very detrimental to our health, not just the health of our skin, but our whole health. Yeah, did you explain? I kind of blanked out there for a minute, but did you explain um, the whole thing of heating what happens when you put hot water yeah. on your hands? So it's the same point I made before, which is um, there's so much chlorine in tap water that when the water is hot and that steam that comes off it, that's chloroform. And if you mix chloroform with antibacterial products, again, it goes back to the same point of synergistic toxicity. How many chemicals are you then putting on your hands? They don't know because there's no research to say how antibacterial, interacts, antibacterial ingredients interact with chloroform. You know, I can't find that data. They don't do that data because they don't have to by law, either in the UK or the US. They don't have to tell you how their products interact with other products that you're going to be using. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm not a big fan of uh, antibacterial soap. Um, we use the, uh, what's it called? It's like a, a natural type of soap, and we just wash our hands with that if we have to. Uh, Robin actually had a question for you. And uh, it says she asked, she came in right before I was about to start the podcast and said, what can you do if you suddenly develop very dry, flaky skin on your face? Okay, well, that to me is an indicator that somebody is really, really low in the good saturated fats and particularly the omegas. Mm -hmm. So omega-3, omega-3, omega-3 and avocados, walnuts, almonds, um, someone who suddenly develops dry skin... Um, it could be environmental, but I would suspect that it wouldn't be wholly environmental. So in other words, somebody could be coming into contact with something at work that really doesn't agree with them. Um, but the skin doesn't just dry out like that for no reason. It means that they're dehydrated. Um, so again, they need to drink lemon water, 
lots of lemon water with pink Himalayan salt in to remineralize the body and to get the electrolytes back up. Because I don't know if you remember learning at school the principle of osmosis, but a cell can't absorb water if it doesn't have natural salt within it. Yeah, I know that. I know that fact, but you have a lot of people here in America that uh, use bleach salt and probably over there as well. And that's one of the things that I always try to tell people. You need to be using some mineralized type salt. Get away from these. um, We have a brand over here called Morton, which is bleach. All the minerals are bleached out of it. So it's not good salt. And people kind of contribute that whole high blood pressure, hypertension, what we call it, to salt. And it has nothing to do with salt at all. It's just so funny how people get all of these things all mixed up. But um, I will let her know that. And I had uh, actually last thing for you. This is uh, probably come up on an hour. But I wanted you to talk about what you do because it's very unique and no one else is doing that when it comes to actually comes to the skin. Explain what you do and how what you can tell by a person by just looking at their skin. Well, when I was little, I was obsessed with making products and, and I was taught how to make rudimentary natural skincare and that's where it all really started. And then one of my jobs was I used to work in a very well-known spa in the United Kingdom and it was mainly the, the people who went there, the patrons were mainly celebrities and people who were held in high regard. And I couldn't believe when I was serving them how bad their skin was. And I was thinking to myself, but these people have access to personal chefs and to dermatologists what on earth is going on here and the more time I spent staring at people when they didn't know I was and trying to work out because I knew what they'd come in for I knew what their particular concerns were and I used to run this restaurant within the spa that basically were for people who were on really specific diets or eating plans or had allergies and I started to notice the correlation between what they couldn't eat and what was going on with their skin and uh This has got me really, really interested in working out how to analyze the skin in order to ascertain the underlying health concerns and actually treat the causes rather than the symptoms because most people stop at the skin. There's a problem with the skin and then they want something topical and then they think they can go away and that's the end of that. It's not. It's We are a holistic whole and we have to be treated as such and you're never going to cure someone in inverted commas if you don't figure out what's going on behind the scenes. And so the skin is a wonderful tool to see inside the body and see what's going on. Yeah, and for um, just for a question for me, what is uh, could be contributed to dark spots under the eyes? Oh, as in dark circles? Yes. Okay, so the myth is that it's down to lack of sleep. It isn't at all. Dark circles under the eyes indicate, again, chronic dehydration, and they also indicate very, very low levels of minerals within the body. So one of the things that I would recommend a client who presented with that and basically had, you know, fairly healthy lifestyle, and that was kind of like the one niggly thing, as in if they didn't have other associated problems. I would recommend the work of... um, Schussler, have you heard of this guy? No, I've never heard of him. How do you spell that? Um, S-H-U-S-S-L-E-R. Okay. So he was an amazing man who understood the idea of the body using, so basically homeopathy, but taking it in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. He understood astrologically that the 12 signs of the zodiac connected up to the 12 critical salts that we need in the body. And so he created this 12 cell salt homeopathy and it was incredibly well received and we haven't 
most people have never heard of this. And so I get a lot of clients. I take it myself, as does my partner. And um, he's noticed a dramatic increase in his energy and his improvements in mood and, you know, just much more balanced from taking these incredible cell salts every day in really, really low amounts. And so someone who's got dark circles on the eyes, that's what they need too. And they're really inexpensive in any homeopathic pharmacy would would stock them. Yeah, I'm gonna have, I'll have to try that because I know um, I did a video on YouTube and I looked on, I was editing the video and I'm like, man, I got dark circles under my eyes. And, uh, but I know just what you were saying. I don't drink enough water. I'm here in South Florida. It's always warm. And one of my big things is I don't drink enough water. Sometimes I'm just a, a bit fearful of drinking too much water because you can, I mean, that can affect you as well. But I know for me, I just got out the sauna just before we um, started a podcast. And I'm like, man, I need to drink some more water. And then I'll go and do something else. And then I'll forget to drink water. But I know that I'm one of those people that are dehydrated. And I'm very, very tall. So I need a lot of water. Well, the other way that you can improve your hydration is to make a spa bath. And this involves Epsom salts. Do you have Epsom salts? Mm-hmm. You have that. Okay. So you need like 250 grams of Epsom salts, 250 grams of pink Himalayan salts. Mm-hmm. And you put that into a warm bath and you soak in it for a minimum of 30 minutes. And that will dramatically increase your body's uptake of minerals very, very quickly. And you'll get the added hydration because your body does swell when it's in the bath. If you weigh yourself before and after a bath, you'll be really shocked. Yeah. That, how much Himalayan salt, Juliet? So 250 grams of each. Grams of each. I'm going to try that. And the Epsom salt is also very good for magnesium as well. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you're, you know, it's the beauty of it, you absorbing those minerals directly through the skin, so they're going to go floating around your bloodstream, and it makes you, it's also a fantastic bath for people who can't sleep, because it's a really soothing, it, it soothes your nervous system, it calms everything down, so if you, particularly if you've got fractious children who just won't settle, if you stick them in a bath of that, I guarantee they'll nod off. I'm going to have to steal this from you and make a YouTube video on this because people need to know this. And uh, one more question, and then I'm going to let you go. And it was something that I didn't touch on and I wanted to touch on it earlier. It was about sunscreen because I know here we're getting ready to go into spring and then summer and everything is in full tilt and everyone's going to be at, at the beach. And I know for me, um, I did a – I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Michael Hollick. He has no. a book called um, – it was on vitamin D, and I, I wrote a blog on it uh, probably about a week ago. And one of the things that I was really appalled by was, one, the fact that African Americans don't get enough sun, and two, was the fact when you do put sunscreen on, it blocks the, it blocks the production of vitamin D by, on the skin. So something is totally wrong <clears throat> with this whole thing of sunscreen. Can you talk about that? Well, they've done it on purpose. They, they knew this. They've known this. Uh, this research has been available. In fact, it was done in Australia, ironically, and yet they are the kings of slip, slop, slap. I mean, it, this topic <laughs> makes me so livid because I've been on quite a few uh, UK radio shows talking about this, and the phones get at, they go into meltdown. The producers are like, oh, my God. So there's either people ringing up to yell at me and troll me live on air, or there's mothers ringing up saying, oh, thank God someone's talking about this. So vitamin D is um, it's vitamin D deficiency is one of the world's biggest killers. It's causing so many problems, and in the UK it's way worse because you haven't been here, Darren. The weather is 
bad. It rains a lot. We get so little sunlight. And you can tell if you come over and visit sort of coming out of uh, winter, you'll think people are crazy because they have had a winter of no sun and no sunlight. Mm -hmm. And most of them don't go out in the sun anyway. And you have this extreme in this country of people who sit indoors and play video games all year, or you have people who at the first sign of sun are in their pants in the park, burning themselves to a crisp. And there doesn't seem to be anything in between. Some people react so extremely when they see the sun in this country, because it's like, I might never see it again this year. I must strip off and, you know, cook myself in my own fat. So I actively encourage people to sunbathe, but the critical thing is twofold. One, you must use a truly natural sunscreen or you are effectively guaranteed to get skin cancer. And skin cancer is not caused by the sun. It's a total and utter lie. Mm -hmm. It's caused by the chemical reaction in your skin of the skin care, of the sunscreen that you are applying. Thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio.